hey, here we go. We're talking about recalibrating. Who has their uh, Eclipse glasses? Who got them? Who bought them? <clears throat> okay. Really? Okay. The rest of y'all aren't going to look at it without them, right? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> well, Monday, Monday is going to be a big day. I guess they're talking about that some cities are concerned about traffic and all kinds of things because of this <clears throat> solar eclipse. I have an app on my phone called Next Door Neighbor, and uh, some of y'all may have it. And people are asking, where can we buy sunglasses or these glasses for that work? And, and everybody's excited about it. Well, it's made me think, <clears throat> uh, I you know, try to stay dialed in here, but we've been talking about, uh, and I uh, taught somewhere the other night at another church, they asked me to come share some ideas on this a matter of being invited into the life of Jesus. And it made me think <clears throat> that uh, in life, uh, if you will, uh, there have been times uh, when, if you will, things have been eclipsed partially or fully. Uh, you know, this is supposed to be the full eclipse of the sun. Uh, it's not doesn't mean it's going to get dark like at night, but it's going to get darker. Uh, so it'd be a full eclipse. I, there've been partial eclipse. I went and kind of looked up how many there've been. I didn't realize there was one back in 2000. Uh, and uh, I just didn't know that. And, you know, things have been eclipsed over time. Uh, you think about it. Uh, I think that uh, uh, in our culture uh, that uh, there was sort of an eclipse uh, until all of this technology started that we thought that uh, nothing around the world could really affect our economy, didn't we? We kind of had that idea, like we were the biggest bear in the woods, and that, that thought kind of got eclipsed uh, for that. Uh, in, in October, we're going to uh, have a day on uh, the last week. Uh, the last uh, day, or October 31st of October, will be the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the door at the church at Wittenberg. Up to that point, the idea of being right with God by faith had been sort of eclipsed. You know, wasn't real clear in a lot of people's minds. And so, <clears throat> so physical eclipses happen like the, the sun. We're going to see that. Partial, eclipse, uh, partial eclipses happen. There are also, I would suggest, eclipses in the, our world about the economy, about being right with God. So a friend asked me the other day, <clears throat> uh, and I, they just said, um, as I was <clears throat> referring to this, like last week I said, uh, most of the time we come to church, we hear that Jesus died for us, right? but we don't often hear that we died with him. That's been sort of eclipsed. We often hear at church that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? Aren't we? Thank, thank you, Lord, you rose from the dead. But do we hear that we were raised with him? Sort of been eclipsed, hasn't it? Or, or that we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It says that. But we don't often hear what we're going to hear today, that we are seated at the right hand of God with him. That's sort of been eclipsed. So some of these ideas have been eclipsed. Uh, it's not that we haven't remembered that Christ died, that he rose, that he's seated, but the other ideas of being have sort of eclipsed. So I, I want to kind of continue to, to work on this idea. I think on your handout there, there is this idea here that we have died with Jesus, we've been raised with Jesus, we've been seated with Jesus. Uh, I, I've told you this before, I think, that, there, that this phrase, died with, seated with, raised with, is such a new idea. There's nothing in Greek that Paul can lean on. He has to make up new words. These are actually new words that are found nowhere else in any Greek vocabulary except the New Testament. Dying with, raised with, seated with. 
And so we find that this uh, kind of idea of, of the, uh, entering the life of Jesus uh, is that we are now participating in his life. Not just he's in our life, that's part of the idea, but that we've been invited into the life of Jesus. So I want to ask you this question I've asked before. So this would raise the question, is your life in Jesus more attachment, that you're in his life, you're attached to him, you're in his life, or is it detachment? Well, I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. That, that, that your understanding of life is, is essentially what I don't do. Somehow you've managed to say this is what uh, life is about in Jesus. It's, well, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't act like that. I told you, I think last week, I asked my dad one time when I'd heard a lot of this when I was a kid, so dad, what is it we do? <laughs> you know, is it attachment or detachment? And it can be both to some extent, but I think it's a recalibration or a, a, a figuring out that what may have been eclipsed is that this idea of our life in Jesus is fundamentally a life of attachment. Now, I'm going to run through this real quick. Remember, it says that we died with Jesus. We died with him. <clears throat> this is where I got the slides backwards. These are the words that Paul had to create in the New Testament Greek because there's no, no such thing that in Greek. There, there's with and died, but there's no, he creates a new word. Uh, died with, raised with, seated with. These are brand new terms you find nowhere else in Greek language. So we have this thing that Jesus died. We've already talked about this. Again, if you want to understand the biblical notion of death, go to Luke 15. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. I know we have people come and we, you know, these are all recorded sessions, so I'm not going to take time. But death in the Bible does not mean cessation. It means separation. The father said that when his son came back, this son of mine who was dead. So death in the Bible is never cessation or non-existence. It's separation. So we died with Jesus. How did we die? We died to the law, separated as a means of acceptance. We don't think we can do enough good or be good enough or work hard enough that we can find our acceptance with God. If you want to listen to that, you can listen last week to the recording. Um, the next one is we died from sin, separated as a means of existence. That, that we now, instead of when we are living our life, our means of existence now longer, no longer is life in Adam of me making the decisions and me deciding what happens, but I've been separated as a means of existence of the idea that now our means of existence, this is a test. This is a test. This is a test. Instead of life in Adam as our means of existence, what is our means of existence now? Huh? No more coffee for you. <laughs> Remember, it was life in Adam, which is characterized by life with human ability, human effort, human intellect. Now it's life in Jesus, life in Jesus. And that life is typically understood as our new understanding of our existence is a life of faith, trusting him. I'm just, I'm doing some review. I don't want to numb your brain, but I, I just want to remind you, it's just fascinating to me that in my own life, I have been willing to believe that something cosmically universal happened on a hill in, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, 
that changed the history of all human beings potentially, that brought about the end of sin, that somehow the cosmic forces of evil are defeated in releasing people from sin. I can believe that and have faith in that and can't have enough faith to not say something mean when I get mad. Think about that. See, that's that new means of existence now. Instead of sin, instead of life in Adam, I've been separated from that to a new means of existence that I now believe and trust the life of Jesus to where when those things come up, I say, you know, I know what my feelings are. I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm sensing. But my new existence now is to believe he is the way, right? This third thing which we're ended to the elemental, elemental principle. I want to ask you to your table of contents and go to the book of Colossians. We're going to go here. Here's where we're going to pick it back up. That we've died to sin as a means of existence, law as a means of acceptance, and elemental principles as a means of sustenance or how we keep our life going. Here in Colossians, we'll see here, it's 1124 in my Bible. Uh, 1124, not 1024, Cliff. Uh, Colossians, where Paul makes this uh, uh, fascinating uh, statement here, we're going to look at this. I'm going to start reading, um, we'll go um, uh, verse 8. Oh, you you couldn't figure that out? No. Yeah. Chapter 2. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Chapter 2. That would be helpful. Yeah. I got to tell you a quick story. Years ago, I was preaching at my church in Houston, and I was on the platform, and uh, some lady had come and was speaking for us, and she started speaking. She was preaching out of Nehemiah. And I'm on the platform. I think Wayne was on the platform. I'm sitting there, and uh, Nehemiah, and I'm thinking, okay, that's uh, after Psalms. It's kind of not. And I went. (laughs) And I think the Spirit said this to me. You have one more flip and people will know you don't know where it is. So I just dug down into Jeremiah. Now I'm confessing that. Okay. So... So don't mess around with the Bible sometimes. You, can't, you know, you can't remember where stuff is. I can't. Anyway, chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now, this word right here, the elementary principle, is the one I'm picking up here on this because it's going to come up again later in the chapter here. Elementary principles is this Greek word that just means the ABCs. Elementary, simple. That's why, they, that's why they translated elementary principles. It's like the ABCs in, in, uh, in, in language or in writing. So Paul's saying, look, don't let anybody take you captive to this elementary stuff, preliminary stuff, uh, instead of Christ. And he says here, the traditions of men. And I said, if you will, that we, and this is what we went last week, is an elementary approach to life. What is that? He says here about the principles of men. And again, if you want to go list this, you can. One of the elementary principles of men has to do with that we like people that are like us. 
that we can get along with people that are like us, right? This is the basis of tribalism and racism that says the principle, well, we sure we can get along if we're all alike or we all agree. The principles of men are these ABCs. And I said last week, and listen to it. If you think things are tough now, and they are, they're terrible. But the Jewish and, and Gentile reconciliation was an absolute miracle that was nothing to do with the principles of men. The principles of men are these tribal, elementary kinds of things that make human beings get along. And Paul's saying, don't let anybody take you captive with that stuff. Christ is the fullness. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free, white or black, red or yellow, whatever you want to call it. That's an elementary principle. And he's saying, you don't let that get a hold of you, right? Hello, you with me now? In our culture, in our world, we're finding this. That the belly of this thing is getting up again to where this, this notion of that what p- makes people get along is their color or their religion or their politics or their socioeconomic status. And that is this anti-gospel and it is ABC stuff that all the world lives by. We don't. And so it's not the way we are sustained, right? That's what it is. We're separated from the elementary principle as a means of sustenance, of the way it sustains us. We're sustained as a people, as a group, as a church, because that's not what puts us together, right? There's so much division. I read stuff all the time about how families have been broken apart over politics, how people are getting up in groups, and and we just have to call it what it is, right? It's racism. We got to call it what it is, and we cannot allow the gospel to be compromised here. You got to go listen last week. I got a little wound up. <laughs> the gospel is going to be called into account if we as people surrender to the elementary principles of men. The gospel will be called into account. It doesn't work. It isn't real. It doesn't make any difference. And so, <clears throat> so I'm saying here, something that sustains us is not the elementary principles of men. Not, not, these, not these ABCs of the world. The tr- look there, verse 8. The traditions of men. The elementary principles. I've often said to my, my students, uh, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of research on uh, church growth. <clears throat> and uh, there is some research that says, and all it is, is it's out of psychology. It's called socio or a homogeneous unit. It's called a homogeneous unit. You want to start a church? You like to attract? Find a bunch of people get a profile. They need to, you know, they're young, they're single, they like rock and roll music, uh, they like to drink coffee in the church, right? Design a church around that and you'll attract those kind of people. They like, it's okay. The problem is, I want to suggest to you, that's not a church. That's a homogeneous unit. The Shriners do that, right? A church that isn't in the elementary principle of men, have young and old, smart and dumb, <laughs> rich and poor, black and white. Why? Because only the fullness of Jesus can make that happen. Are we stuck in the A, B, Cs? I ask myself sometimes, I've told you this before, I'm just like you, I can get stuck in this Do I treat certain people differently than other people? Powerful people, not powerful people, rich people, not rich people, people that look like me, 
people that don't look like me that are all excited about that. <laughs> wow, we don't look like Cliff. <laughs> Whew, what a relief, <laughs> right? Okay, <clears throat> I want to go further. Go over to ch- chapter 20 there in verse, tw- uh, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse 20. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Can you? I'm an English. I'm an English major. Hmm. Oh yeah. Let me. When Doug nearly died. Hear that again. The only thing that, listen, he's a redneck, East Texas. Because <laughs> we're same t- same town. Right. What do they have in common? Jesus. Guys, we got to stand up against this. It is grievous to the gospel. That's right, Doug. I remember we got to hold that guy. He's got a fantastic church in Florida. Okay, look at verse 20 of Colossians 2. If you've died with Christ, and you know, uh, in Greek, there's an interesting way this is constructed. That the word if, written in a certain form, sometimes they'll translate it, since. And some translations have it like that, since you have. So let's say that, since you died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. See, that's what he's referring back to in verse 8. Since you've died to those, those elementary principles of the world. Why is it that you're living in the world? Do not submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which refer to things destined to perish in accordance with the commandment and teachings of men. Now watch this. These are matters which, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom, self-made religion, and self abasement and severe treatment of the body. In other words, he's saying this religious thing you're on really looks good. Self-made religion, you know, abasement of the body, uh, uh, an appearance of wisdom, but what says, but has no value against fleshly indulgence. What is this? This is elementary religious rigor. Elementary religious rigor. I heard that rigor mortis. Somebody just said rigor mortis. That's what happens when you get too too rigid. Paul is taking on religion here. I'm always fascinated by him. That Paul's understanding of life is a union in Jesus. And one of the things that stops people sometimes for union with Jesus is religion. Because it gives them just enough dosage that they don't sense their real need. Just enough. Enough religious trappings. Enough religious things. And, and, and Paul says here, this is this elementary uh, approach here, if you will. It, it's just that, that you're in the matter of, of rigor. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. It's interesting, isn't it? They're all negatives. 
Isn't that what religion's about? Don't, 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 don't. I, uh, I love what John Wesley said on several occasions, but in this particular case, he said, he quotes Galatians, and I would refer you to it, Galatians 5, chapter, verse 5, chapter 6, chapter 5, verse 6, um, that Paul makes this statement, this idea of this religious rigor. He said, really, nothing matters but faith working through love. See, religious rigor just says faith. You believe what I believe? If you don't, you're dumb. You know, if you don't, you're not informed. We'll fight over it. We'll argue over it. One of the things that won't come through, though, is any love. Just faith. Just faith. I'll fight you. I told you to my own embarrassment. When I, after my first year of Greek, you know, I was an expert. What an idiot. I used to go to Christian bookstores and hang out in the reference section to start arguments. <laughs> Man, I'm really confessing a lot today, aren't I? They say confession's good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm telling you, I could ring you up over what faith meant. I could wear you out on eschatological treatment of the scripture. I had a lot, of, and there's nothing, listen, nothing wrong with knowledge. But when your religious rigor only becomes don't, 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 don't. You're in trouble. Because religious life and living needs to be faith working through love. When I thought of that, I thought of this example. Uh, I write this down. Uh, well, you don't have to. It'll be on the test, though. <laughs> Boy, you ought to see students' heads snap when I say that. They're, you know, they're text and what? Yeah. Sometimes I just say that to wake them up and lie. But... <laughs> Here's, here's two words I want you to get that I think Paul's getting at. I don't know that, I, he didn't have these, perhaps these thoughts, but he's a smart guy. Here they are. Function and form. Function and form. The New Testament, I would suggest, argues, or in, in theologians, they don't mean we're arguing, it means it's making a case for that one of the functions that no church, no people, no Christian can avoid is uh, evangelism, leading people to Jesus, right? So the Bible's pretty clear on that, that we're all to lead people to Jesus. Some of us may be more effective than others because of our giftings or our realm of influence, but it's just that's, that's the function Cross the board. Uh, another function would be uh, to disciple others. To, another function would be to come and worship God. Where we get into trouble is this. Somebody told us that the way that you share your faith in evangelism has to be by the four spiritual laws. <laughs> That's the form. That's the form. Uh, some friends of mine and I, we, we uh, uh, used to, uh, back in the late uh, 70s, early 80s, there was a real move in religious circles to reach out to people and bring people to Christ, and it was called bus ministry. And I know some people that were one to Christ, and, and uh, uh, whole families were... Did, I, I met a family uh, on my bus route that I got to know over the years who were, their last name was Foreman. 
And they were cousins to George Foreman. Funny, Dora and Sonno, I'll never forget these people. They're kids. It was a very rough part of town. But in, in my entire life, my entire life, I've had one surprise birthday party. Partly because I'm nosy. The only surprise birthday party I ever had was by a poor African-American family in the rough part of Northwest Houston who didn't hardly have two nickels to rub together because I would come every Saturday and talk to them about Jesus and take their kids to Sunday school and they would come later. I ran the corner one time and there was this cake that apparently had been sold cheap. Because some of the name was rubbed out. <laughs> like, happy birthday, David. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, any, anyway, I, uh, it, but, but we, we thought bus ministry was the only way to win people to Jesus. I have a friend that after many years of doing bus ministry, which is fine, but, you know, there's lots more financial liability now. There's much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, stuff that you got to do. I mean, we had a bus. We drove right by the police station every Sunday and the inspection sticker had been out for two years. <laughs> when our bus stopped, I got all the boys off. We made it a game because if it stopped when it was warm, it wouldn't work. Wouldn't, the starter wouldn't start. I'd get them in the back. I mean, I'm, it's, it's a wonder we didn't get hurt. I'd get them back. Come on, boys, let's push the bus and kill the devil. I'm serious. I did everything I could. I ate a live goldfish one on the hood of the bus. I said, if we have a certain number of kids, I'll eat a live goldfish. I ate it and grabbed Becky immediately and kissed her on the mouth. <laughs> Remember that, dear? One of those wonderful memories. I know it, but I know some people that after some things changed, I mean, there were some liability issues that began to happen. Uh, there were some good tightening up of law, you know, to not drive a bus that's got a two-year inspection sticker out. I know God left a church because they said, we're going to do evangelism a different way. You, you, you know what he had confused? Function with form. The function is evangelism. The form was bus ministry, and it worked for a while. But see, when you get rigor in your life, and when you decide that the rigor, the self, all that, that's the truth, then you lose the function. You ever seen this happen? The, the most classic example of that is this. I, I tell myself, I, the church I went to in, uh, in Louisiana, I told them, you know, we have evidence that there was no such thing as Sunday night church till somewhere in the late 1800s. Do you know that? I grew up in a church that didn't know history. <laughs> there were no Sunday night churches in America until the late 1800s. Just didn't have them. By the way, you know the reason we start Sunday school at 945, right? Because Paul told us to. <laughs> because that's about the time that farmers could get through with their chores and get through getting a wagon and get to church. I mean, what in the world start? How many went to church where Sunday school started at 945? What else in your life ever started at 945? <laughs> Nothing, right? 
Let's go to 10. Go to 9.30. Not 9.45. Why? Yeah. Yeah. They, and if you go, well, don't get me started on doctors. <laughs> but what happened was this. We have history. We have, we have, <clears throat> when the United States started going toward the West, uh, <clears throat> the government began to lay gas lines and put lines in where they were these gas lamps. And because, you know, there wasn't much going on at that time, people would come around at night on Saturday, Sunday night and just stand around. <laughs> now, I, I don't want to talk about this, okay? But just think about people going. These are the same people that go watch concrete dry. <laughs> Is it dry yet? So they would come out and gather up. Now, listen, some smart people. Christians decided, let's have a Sunday night service. How many of you are old enough like me that remember, what was the Sunday night service called? The evangelistic service. What, right? Anybody remember that? Come on, help me here. Right? Am I right? Why? Because Sunday night, people weren't, didn't come in their suits. They could come more casually. They sang a bunch of quartet, Stamps, Baxter, that kind of stuff, music. Don't get me on that. <clears throat> Uh, they sang a lot of quartet music. It's very informal. It's called the evangelistic service. So I asked my church that I passed before I came here in 1991. How many people been saved around here on Saturday, Sunday night? Nobody. How about in the last five years? Nobody. You know what happened? This religious spirit decided that what started as a function of evangelism, of winning people, would now become the badge of spiritual maturity. So if you came on Sunday night, you were really what? Really spiritual, right? Completely opposite. This is how, you know, this is how legalism make you stupid. <laughs> really. Really make you stupid. People forgot what it was for, why they were doing it, they kept hearing the word evangelistic service and they never connected it. And they thought, boy, if you're really spiritual, we'll be here tonight now. If you're not, you're, you know, if you're watching Disney, I'm still hurt over that. I never got to watch Disney. That's why we're doing it on fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, I hated it. L listen, think about, think about it now. Hold on here. We call in a minute or two, or maybe you already went, the worship service. Did you? Or did you just go? Uh, whenever we think about reading a scripture as a matter, we, some would call it quiet time. There's no quiet time around me. Okay, I've never had a quiet time in my life. I start talking out loud. We call it devotional did you? Were you devoting yourself to God for that day? Or has the form taken over the function? This happens to religious people. This happens when we get in back in the ABCs. Because we've gotten comfortable and we baptize these things now. In other words, my buddy that I mean, he left the church, he's just he baptized bus ministry as the only way to do evangelism. 
Some people baptize Sunday night as the only way to be spiritually deep. This kind of rigor. So I want to ask you this. And here it is. For, For instance, this ring that I wear, is it the sign or the form or the function? Or sign. I'm going to confuse you here in a second. I am. <clears throat> There's a form and a function. Does this make me a married man? It's the, or the form of it. It's not the function. I can wear this ring all the time. It doesn't make me function as a married man. It's the form that looks like that. Right? The, the, the whole notion, when, when we look at the American flag or a church building, these are the, the, the forms. They're not the function. That's, this is not the church. This is the church. So when you look at a building, when you look at the American flag, you say, well, that's a, that's a, that's a, a form. It, it, it's not the country. So here's what I ask you to do this week. What if this week you look at your wedding ring, an American flag, a church building, that you remember these are simply the sign of something greater. It's not what it is. Yeah. The what? I did? Well, that's why you have to stay awake. <clears throat> that was on purpose. That was my plan all along. <clears throat> all along. There you go. Somewhat. <laughs> Here, but here's, here's, but this is what Paul is saying. We're not sustained by form. We're sustained by function. You're not going to be sustained if you just rigorously hit your Bible study every morning and say, I got 20 minutes, I got to do this. That's the fun- form. But, but if you work with the, the function that this is time for me to be devoted to God for the day, it'll revolutionize your life. Don't get those confused. Anybody but me ever do that? I get them confused. I think, oh, I did that. Instead of understanding it's just a form. It's not the function. That function can take 10 or 12. This is what worries me. You know, when people say they become a Christian, I'm always worried. We tend to treat everybody the same. And, I, and I'll say to some people sometimes, hey, listen, for your devotional time, what do you need? They go, what? What do you need? I mean, everybody that has a devotional time has to sit down at a desk with a lamp and a light and a pen and a Bible. Or do you need nature? Do you, do you need to be out in nature and walking? I have a friend who I am a little irritated at who every morning God gives him a song, a different one. Kind of irritates me. Just kind of irritates me. I'm thinking, hey, I'm over here. (laughs) And you say, you can't sing. (laughs) But you know, we, we, we make this rigidity around people. Instead of saying, the function is to get in touch with God. The function is to connect with him in your soul and your spirit. Now, there's probably going to be some Bible reading at some point or some things like that, but would you give yourself permission 
to get dialed down on the function and not the form? Would you give yourself permission this week to get dialed in? To say, you know what, this doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. Maybe it will some other day. Maybe some other day. It doesn't work for me. Forget it then. Use nature, use music, uh, use art. Uh, you know, I, I was doing that some the other day with some iconographs. I know I'm probably going to get kicked out of the church now. Uh, looking at some icons on the Trinity, I wept. I looked at this icon of the Trinity. And on this icon, there's a chalice in the middle. And there's a little lamb. And they're all looking at it. For days, I looked at that. And it ministered to me. It connected me. And I'm not a very artistic person by nature. I'm not very creative. But if you get the form and the function messed up, your life becomes like chewing sawdust. Instead of saying, God, what is it that connects me? That, that enables me to sense you? That allows me to talk to you? That allows me to connect? Okay, I, I got to go. We're not finishing. <laughs> Y'all do this to me all the time. Yes. See these questions? No. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. Hey, well, this is where, again, I feel like we've done harm to people because we've made them like us. Now, for me, I really do need a pen, a good one, 22-pound paper minimum. If you're interested, I don't use cheap paper. Don't bring me cheap paper. Um, And I I need a light, and I need a lexicon, and I need to be able to translate verbs. I just need that. That's what was so unusual the other day about this icon. It just wiped me out. And so I'm going to keep messing around with that. I'm going to keep experimenting. And, and so maybe there's something to that. It, it speaks to my soul. Well, we've been raised with Jesus. What a crazy thing to say. Raised with him. I, I like the word with. The fact that I didn't do this on my own. I think I have this on your hand at this. If I don't. Nope, I don't. Here it is. Um, I, I, now, let me give you some verses because, I, you know, uh, Romans 6, 4 to 5. If you've been buried with him, Paul says, you've also been raised with him. Raised with him. Look there. Go back to Romans 4, uh, 6 just for a second. Go left. <laughs> Romans 6. 
Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we've been buried with him in baptism into his death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The likeness, similarity. This idea that when we were baptized into Christ Jesus, I don't have time to unpack all this, but I think Paul sees baptism more than just something about us. Can I take it this way? We talk about baptism like this. I'm being baptized to communicate to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. What does that make baptism about? Me. That's all it makes it about. What if baptism is about my union with him? That I am doing this because I am in union with him. Because both images are right there. Buried with him in baptism. Raised to newness of life. I just, I want to press you just a little bit here. We're, a, we're pretty, uh, the, the church of God in this group, we're pretty anti-sacramental. We don't think things just work because they work. You know, you can't just go into the baptismal pool and because you've been in the water, you come out and now you're, everything's okay. However, we've gone too far the other way. We've made it only about us. There's something mysterious. And, I, you know, you, you can have problems with this and I can too. One of the other things that we've done is we've tried to take all the mystery out of this life with Jesus. It's supernatural. It's beyond explanation at times. There aren't four steps to everything. It's mysterious. Jesus is fierce. He's hard to handle. He'll get out of the box on you every once in a while. So just be prepared for that. But this idea of being baptized into Christ Jesus. This is similar in 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, all the Jews were baptized into Moses. Go read that, 1 Corinthians 10. That when they went through the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses. And every time they have the, 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 the Seder meal, every time they have the Passover, every Jew declares that we are part of that great exodus we left. Paul's saying you were buried with him now you've been raised. Ephesians 2, 5 to 6. Same, same statement. Just give you some evidence here. Colossians 2, 12. Colossians 2, 12. And Colossians 3, 1. Colossians 3, 1. You know, I told you a story. <clears throat> My dad actually said this to me. I got mad one time. I, who knows what I had done? I mean, it's like my dad used to say in the summertime because we were home he had his belt. You know, he, back then we got some corporal punishment. Actually, it was from a major, but not a corporal. <laughs> um, my dad said uh, when I was at home, he said he always wanted to put over the top of his belt that he had to use to kind of uh, make an adjustment on me. I need thee every hour. <laughs> <clears throat> Remember that hymn? <laughs> I need thee, oh, I need thee. Yeah, I was a good kid. <laughs> But I remember uh, uh, one time getting mad at him because, you know, we were talking. I said, hey, I didn't ask to be married. He actually said, if you would have, the answer would have been no. You cannot create your own life. 
You know that? I mean, I sit around and think every once in a while. Why was it I was born here? Why, why wasn't I born in the Sudan? Why, why wasn't I born in outer Mongolia in a hut? See, I didn't create this life. What I do? I received it, right? We were raised with Jesus Christ. You didn't create this life. It's not yours. You don't manage it. You don't create it. You don't make it happen. You simply, through faith, receive what Jesus said has happened. You know, this comes back to how was Jesus raised from the dead? Do you remember? You're in Romans, aren't you? Go back left. I hang out in Romans a lot. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start reading one, verse 1 because Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh. Now watch this. Who is designated, or the word declared, designated, pointed out. Here he is. The son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according to or by the spirit of holiness. How did Jesus rise from the dead? The Holy Spirit. How was he designated the Son of God? He was raised from the dead through power, according, or the Greek word kata there means according to or by means of or with the spirit of holiness. I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. The centrality and the importance of understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit is something we have to recover. My friend Ralph Neighbor in Houston say this, a Christian's either a miracle or a fake. There's either somebody in here besides me or not. I'm either somewhere greater, bigger, that Jesus was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. None of us are born again where the Spirit goes wherever it will. Just because we decided something, it's because the Spirit brought us to life. There's a, there's a life now. There's a, there's, a, there's a new life available. It's the life in the Spirit. The New Testament over and over again, all of this continually going on about life in the Spirit, life in the Spirit. How does that happen? Uh, I, I told you a few years ago, I went to Albuquerque, New Mexico and met with Richard Rohr. Now, I, you know, I read some of Richard Rohr's. I don't believe everything he says. I don't even believe everything I say, but you know. I'm working on it. I don't. I don't believe everything Roar says. There, there are some things that he and I have huge disagreements over. I mean, we're not buddies. We don't go hang out. But I went and saw him. Made my way in his office. His, his secretary said, wait a minute. I called. And I said, I need to see him. Oh, he didn't see, he didn't see individuals. Well, but I need to see him. He said, well, he didn't see people. I said, well, no, I need to tell you. I need to see him. So we finally coerced them to let us come see him. So I was talking to Father Roar, and I just was asking him what he thought. I was saying to him, I'm concerned about the transformation for myself and my students. And why does that not happen? With the power of the Holy Spirit available, with the resurrected Christ, why does that not happen? He said one word, surrender. And I said, surrender? He said, yeah. 
until we surrender our life to receive his life. I said, now, why don't, why don't we hear that? This is, what, this is what he said. I said, why, why don't we hear that message? He said, it's bad for business. <laughs> Just bad for business. Tell people, give up. Give up. And you know, I've said this before, and you've heard enough, but you're going to give up one of these days. It's called cancer. And you're going to say, I can't, I, can't, I can't beat this. God. Or somebody's going to walk out on you. You're going to surrender someday. Because life is going to hit you so hard and hit me so hard. We're going to finally realize, you know what? I don't have the resources. Surrender. I want to tell you this. I think surrender is a new word for faith. Surrender is a new word for faith. I believe you. I, I think I put this on your deal here. We're raised and resurrected because this really is what it is. Faith is a new self-understanding. Faith isn't just believing a bunch of ideas and having a little. It's a new self-understanding. I now understand myself as unable to live this life. I understand myself now that this isn't just some little fancy four-foot do-si-do through life. This is a mysterious God who through the power of his spirit is working to transform me and to bring me into a life that I could never create on my own. Ever. Listen, it's a new self-understanding. I understand myself now. Cliff, you don't have the hardware. You don't have the juice to do this. You, you, you know, I've told you my story before. I, I was in my third year in seminary. I'd been ordained to the ministry, could read the Bible in Greek three or four different ways, and, and said one day in my car when I'm just at the end of myself with frustration and all these kind of things, and I just said, I just don't think I can do this. I don't think there's anybody in here but me. And heard the Lord go, whew, it's about time. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Heard, it's about time. When God speaks to me, only three words, always three. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he knows my intellectual capacity. Okay, Gabriel, dumb this one down. We're going to Sanders. <laughs> Make it simple. See, this, this new... We, see, we've made faith about ideas and doctrines and, 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 and lists, and those are, they're all part of that. But faith is when you come to a new understanding about yourself. I've died. And somehow, Jesus, as crazy as this sounds, I've been raised with you. Now, let me tell you how that works. And I, there is no clock back there. I realize that. <laughs> Finish with this. The first time uh, I drove a car for a lot of years uh, that did not have anti-locking brakes. In fact, I had a wreck one time because um, somebody pulled out in front of me and they weren't listening to me. You know, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, hurry, come on. They weren't listening to me. Becky says they don't listen while I'm talking to them. But, but I locked my brakes and I just skid, you know. And I remember, 
honestly now, I, you may think this is silly, but I'm, I, I do a lot of things out loud so I can hear them. Really, when I leave the house, I go, the garage door is down. Because my brain will say, oh, you're just kidding yourself. It's not down. It's really up. I'm All these people in here, it's like, it's like a circus. You know, over in this corner, there's this going on. Or, so I'll say, so, so I get this car and I read up on it. It's got, it's got anti-locking brakes. And I remember the first time I had to go after him. Remember that? Like that. Every instinct in me wanted to pump. Anybody? Every, everything. Oh, oh. And I, and I said, Cliff, don't, Cliff, don't, Cliff, don't. Out loud. No, 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 don't. Don't, don't, Cliff, don't. See, <laughs> I know it's a crazy world to live in. Sorry. <laughs> Becky will tell you this, so I'm better in television. <laughs> I am right here. I'm better in TV. Um, I had to come to a new understanding of what those breaks were going to do. And I can remember the, I can remember how uncomfortable it was. And how difficult it was to, to do that. Because, I mean, I had a lot of history of how to pump brakes, of how to do that. And now I've noticed over the years as I've done that, this may be what you call spiritual formation or spiritual practices. But over time now, when I go through those breaks, it doesn't, doesn't even phase me. Doesn't even phase me. Well, I've come to a new self-understanding. See, what, what if you came to a new self-understanding? Your posture now is I've been raised with Jesus. There are some resources I have and there's a life that's available to me through faith that never was available. I believe that. I'm going to trust that. I'm going to live that. If I have to say it out loud for a little while, like I did with those breaks, if the first time, the second time, the second time is, remember Cliff, don't. Remember Cliff, don't. Remember Cliff, don't. Had to do it for a while till I got that new self-understanding. This is the word of the Lord. You have been raised with Jesus. You will someday be completely raised, but you have been, and that is faith as a new self-understanding.